I woke up on the morning of Monday, June 6, 2022, to a missed phone call. A trusted source was calling. Before I even rolled out of bed, news was coming at me quickly in a stream of text messages. It took me a few minutes to process what I was reading. Holly had been located in Oklahoma 42 years after her parents were murdered. And I had a three-day heads up on the announcement that would be coming from the Texas Attorney General's office in Austin. I was incredulous. How could this be? My first phone call was to the source. How sure was it that this woman was the right Holly? Through channels I can't divulge, I was then sent a photo that was taken hours earlier of a woman sitting inside a restaurant in Oklahoma. Upon seeing the image, there was nothing more that needed to be said to convince me of the news. The woman, plainly dressed with her hair pulled back, was the spitting image of her mother, Tina Lynn Klaus. And it took my breath away. I was told Holly worked in a restaurant in Oklahoma, the precise location I'm not disclosing, and is a wife and mother of five children with two grandchildren. My next phone call was to our executive producer, Sid Upson, for an off-the-record conversation on how we plan to handle the announcement. And over the next three days, my mind raced with every thought imaginable. How did Holly come to be in Oklahoma? Who raised her? How did authorities find her? Did she know anything about her biological parents? Do authorities have any suspects in her parents' murder? I was hoping all these questions would be addressed at the press conference that Thursday morning. Our Austin affiliate, KTBC, transmitted it live from the Texas Capitol to our studio in New York. The moment felt surreal. The first assistant attorney general of Texas, Brent Webster, stepped up to the podium. I'm excited to announce that baby Holly has been located alive and well. Baby Holly was left at a church in Arizona and was taken into their care. While we rejoice today that Holly has been found and families that were looking her for decades rejoice, we're asking for help from the public because we have yet to solve this particular crime. We still are looking for suspects in this case. Holly had been given to a church in Arizona? Why there? Her parents were found murdered in Texas, some 1,300 miles away. Before there was even time to process that bombshell, Webster revealed detailed information about who exactly dropped Holly off. And it was a physical description I'd heard before. Two women who identified themselves as members of a nomadic religious group brought Holly to the church. They were wearing white robes and they were barefoot. They indicated the beliefs of their religion included the separation of male and female members, practicing vegetarian habits, and not using or wearing leather goods. The women indicated they had given up a baby before at a laundromat. This sounded just like the mystery women who Donna claims drove her car back to Florida in 1981 after the car was said to have been abandoned in Los Angeles. Could it really be Sister Susan? Webster then not only identified her by name, 
but also recounted the entire bizarre story of their meeting. The family agreed to meet Sister Susan at the Daytona racetrack in Florida. She further stated that Tina and Dean had joined their religious group and no longer wanted to have contact with their families. They were also giving up all of their possessions. Sister Susan asked for money in exchange for returning the car to Florida where the family lived. The family agreed but contacted the local authorities about the situation. The police purportedly took the women into custody, but there is no record of a police report on file that has been found as of yet. Given the age of this case, that is common. We're still on the hunt for that police report. The news that Holly had been found stunned everyone, including me, of course. In my 17-year career in news, I could only think of a few other cases in which missing children taken by strangers were found alive and later reunited with their families. J.C. Lee Dugard, kidnapped in 1991 from a bus stop in California and held captive for 18 years. Elizabeth Smart, abducted in 2003 from her bedroom in Utah by a religious fanatic who dressed in white robes and considered himself a prophet. They, unlike hundreds of other missing children, survived. And so the news about Holly was nothing less than a miracle. Still, I had so many questions. Who were these women who had dropped off Holly at a church? Did they kidnap Holly from her parents? Or was Holly handed to them by someone else? Did they have knowledge of Dean and Tina's murder? What group did they belong to? I called Allison Peacock and Lisa Olson and Lieutenant Bobby Minshew and all of my other sources I'd been working with. What did they make of it all? I knew Houston Chronicle reporter Sinjin Barnett-Smith was at the press conference, and I wanted his first-hand account of it. Hey, Christina. Hey, Sinjin. How are you? Tell me about the press conference. It's crazy. I walk in, and it's sort of this big rotunda. There were 15 reporters cameramen, radio people there, and then off in the corner, this huddle of better-dressed government types, and then this crew of investigators, prosecutors, and second-highest-ranking member of the Attorney General's office come out, delivered the news, and that was that Holly was alive, that they had found her, that she was living in Oklahoma. I was floored. What was going through your mind at that point? Because you are the one who broke this story back in January that the identities of Dina and Tina had finally been um, revealed. And you, you found out they had a missing baby. And so for all these months, like you and I have had so many conversations about what could have happened here. I mean, (laughs) it was just crazy, right? I've covered mayhem and crime and everything for a decade, and that makes you cynical. I was like, no, there's no way. Mm -hmm. There's no way. You can cover a story for a long time, and it'll still shock you. The Deputy Attorney General, Brent Webster, also gave some additional details that I was completely not expecting, describing the little information they did have about how this all played out, right, about Holly getting adopted and being delivered to a church by two women in robes who said that they had surrendered another baby at a laundromat and you know that was sort of like holy cow and then 
I'm not saying this is a feel-good story, but it is kind of wonderful to know that despite this, uh, these horrible murders of Dean and Tina, that there's sort of somewhat happy new development out there that, that Holly's alive, that she's had a good childhood, that she's got a family, that she's got grandkids. You don't normally get to have a story in that way on my beat. I mean, a few interesting things that I picked up on, um, they said the people who raised Holly are not suspects um, yep, that's right. in, in this, and um, they did not divulge Holly's full name. Also true. One thing about this story, which I think makes it so unique and has been such a interesting case to cover, is that it feels like every time a door shuts, another one opens, you know? Like, first we have the bodies, and the question is, who are they, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're identified. And then you have, okay, well, what about their missing daughter? What happened to Holly? What about Holly? And then now today, we've got an answer to that. She wasn't carried off by a coyote. No, she wasn't killed, you know, that she's in fact alive and that, you know, she's living in Oklahoma and has a family and all that. But now that comes back to the original question of like, who killed them and why did they kill them? You know, what, what, was this, what was the set of facts that led a couple living near Dallas to have their bodies dumped in East Harris County, 13 miles east of downtown Houston, right? And what is going on there? How did they end up in Houston, somewhat 270 miles from Louisville, their last known address? Exactly. And not only that, but like all these additional new questions about this group. Who are they? Who are they? You know? It's just question after question after question. More of our story after this short break. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So how exactly did authorities find Holly? And did they have any suspects they were not disclosing? As I dug further into the case, I called the Attorney General's office, asking to speak with someone who could brief me on the investigation more fully. After repeated requests and a conversation with General Ken Paxton, the Attorney General himself, I got the most critical player of all, Mindy Monford. A former prosecutor, Monford is the senior counsel for the Texas AG's newly formed cold case unit. She previously worked cold cases in the Travis County District Attorney's Office. Law enforcement sources described her to me as a formidable attorney who is methodical in her approach. Her passion, they said, defines her. In a rare and unvarnished interview, Monford spoke with me about the investigation. What was it about this case that hooked you in? When I was a prosecutor in the district attorney's office here in Travis County, Austin, I worked with the Austin Police Department cold case unit on several cold cases. Mm -hmm. And you really do develop a passion. How could you not? You know, somebody mm -hmm. got away with, with murder and the family is left without answers for years, sometimes 20, right. 30 years. And that just seems to me 
to be the greatest injustice. And so the Klaus case was like that. The case posed problems almost from the very beginning, Monfort told me, starting with something as simple as locating Holly's birth certificate. I wanted to get the birth certificate in any documentation that might have a footprint, a palm print, a blood type. I just knew I needed to get anything I could about Holly. So really, I was trying to just find the hospital records. And that led us to the vital statistics office. We knew the family had tried to get those records, um, as well as some of the law enforcement. Finding the birth certificate was an obvious starting point. First, the family tried, with no success. Then a detective with the Louisville Police Department in Texas tried, but no luck. Normally, such requests are not complicated. But when Monfort approached the Department of Vital Statistics, the answer was a clear and unequivocal, no, it's sealed. Then Steve Wheeler, a detective with the Volusia County Sheriff's Office in Florida, stepped in to help. We had a stroke of luck because I think when we were given Steve Wheeler's name out of the Volusia County Sheriff's Office, it was basically Tina and Dean, you know, giving him to us because it was just, (laughs) it could have gone to anyone, but it went to somebody who just had such a uh, desire to, to try to get answers for this family. And, you know, he had a passion for this case right away. So he was able to sort of um, get a lot of information. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal his sources or get him into trouble, but mm-hmm. I think there were some, um, probably some phone calls made uh, off the record to try to figure out what, you know, how do we go about getting a, a birth certificate in this case? He started asking questions. What all do you need for us to get this birth certificate and the records? Mm-hmm. And then when we were told we actually needed a court order, that's when we sort of realized, okay, why would you need a court order for that? That's interesting. Not just a subpoena, but a court order. That was a little strange to us. As Monford and her team pressed further, they discovered why the birth certificate was sealed. The next thing I knew, um, Steve was calling saying, you're not going to believe this. I think this is an adoption. And that really changed the game because, wow, she really may be alive. And at least she was alive at some point because there was an adoption record. That led us to Arizona. We reached out to the Arizona AG's office and they dropped everything and worked as quickly as they could to get us the court file um, from that. That's really the trail that, that, that we had. And then once you started getting the records together, you were able to identify people, locate people. Monford gave credit to agencies in three states, Florida, Texas, and Arizona, for the effort to find Holly. I have to say here that this was the finest example of how important relationships are and how important it is to collaborate among agencies. All the pieces just fell together. I can't speak enough about that partnership and how luck Mm -hmm. gave us Steve Wheeler or divine intervention. Can you tell me about the moment you realized she was alive, what that was like for you? Just unbelievable. Of course, we didn't know, we knew she had been alive at some point because she was placed up for adoption, but we didn't know if, you know, in the years since, you know, she Mm -hmm. had 
gotten cancer or she'd gotten in a car wreck. I mean, you know, we didn't know that she would still be alive. And then, of course, you don't know, you know, well, are the adopted parents involved in this in some way? So then you've got to really look into their backgrounds and everything that we've turned up indicates that they are not involved in that, but anything Mm -hmm. malicious. We didn't know how Holly would take the news. So there were a lot of unknowns. Monford was then tasked with meeting Holly face-to-face and delivering the news about her parents and their murder. Detective Holloman and I actually um, went up to um, where she lives. Um, And I think by now everybody knows it's Oklahoma. We wanted to personally give her the information. She was at her workplace and incredibly friendly, just so nice. You know, it's not a big town and, and... so, you know, it was, oh, come on in. Yes, have a seat. You know, it was very, very mm. hospitable and warm. And, you know, we delivered the news to her and she was emotional. And in fact, I didn't want to, you know, do anything that would somehow diminish this moment or cheapen it. But when we showed her the photo of her biological parents holding her as a baby, the last photo really that was probably taken she did get emotional and I thought, oh, I've got to capture this moment, you know? And I said, Holly, would you mind if I took a picture of you, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at this photo, I'd like to share it with your extended biological family. And she said, absolutely. And then, so that's the photo that you've seen where she's holding it up. So that literally was taken seconds after we told her the news. That's incredible. Holly and the family she never knew met for the first time in a Zoom meeting at which Monford was present. I never in a million years thought that we would be a part of that moment. We wanted it to be private and personal, but when we talked Mm -hmm. to the family, they actually asked us to be on that call. It was important to them that they thanked all of our team for everything Mm -hmm. they'd done. And, you know, I had said, would you like us to start it for y'all? You know, you can have your few moments together and then we could Mm -hmm. join. And they said, no, we want everybody to be there from from the beginning. I'm not going to forget that. Our conversation then pivoted to the cult. Which group was Monford looking at? There were many nomadic religious groups roaming the Southwest United States at that time. I've talked to uh, three cult experts within the last couple of weeks, and all of them have said that the description of the women who dropped off Holly is strikingly similar to the description of those who are part of this nomadic group called the Christ family. Is that one of the groups that you're looking at? Yes, we've had a lot of tips um, on the Christ family and we are definitely looking at, at, at that group, yes. Because, you know, I'm, I'm reading white robes, they walked barefoot, they believed in the separation of the sexes, they were vegetarians, and then it also fits that time frame. Right. You know, the problem with coming out and saying this is the group we're looking at is you don't want to discourage people who may have information from contacting us because, you know, if it it involved a different group. And so that is, you know, one of the groups we're looking at. But there were several groups. And if you talk to those religious experts, they'll tell you back then that was, boy, you you had all kinds of religious groups and they were nomadic Mm -hmm. and they were young and they were recruiting members. And even in Texas, there were uh, several And what about the elusive sister Susan and the two other women who returned Donna's car at the Daytona Speedway? I think one of the family members has openly said one of the women 
identified herself as Sister Susan. That's something we are, you know, looking into. And mm-hmm. I can't thank you enough and just your listeners because we really have received so many tips from this being out there, a lot of them about different religious groups. And, you know, again, at this point, we're still not saying that it was the religious group that was responsible. Right, right. For the I right. And, and I think know, that's very important because from what we're hearing, um, a lot of people who had personal experiences with different religious groups back then are very decent, nice people, and they didn't condone any sort of violence. And so at this point, we are looking into these groups only because we believe that just as in any case, you want to talk to the last people that you know, your victims were seen with or associated with. Mm-hmm. And these individuals, you know, were definitely in contact with Tina and Dean months before their death. So that is why they're important. They're persons of interest because they may have seen Tina and Dean. They may have known where they were headed, what was going through their minds at that point. Mm-hmm. And so that's why these people are so important. We're just trying to interview anybody who might have seen Tina and Dean or or, or have known them back in that time period, which would have been, you know, October 1980 through the beginning of January 1981 when they were found. They're persons of interests. They are not suspects. That's right. I had an interesting conversation with um, an FBI source who said that, you know, look, if people had something to do with, you know, the crime, the last thing they'd want to do is like return a car and get any closer to it. But then you could also look on another flip side, you know, back then perpetrators were, I suppose, more comfortable because they weren't thinking about DNA and they weren't thinking about surveillance cameras and all that stuff. So they're really, it really is an unbelievable mystery, I suppose, when you consider all of the possibilities here. Now, Christina, you, you hit that, that argument. We have said that very same thing in this office. You, know, you <laughs> can argue it either way. That is absolutely true. I had covered many cold cases by this point in my career. I'm so used to the empty, scripted line from authorities that, yes, we can solve this decades-old case. Though they'd say the words, I could tell they didn't believe it. Well, not Mindy Monford. She truly believed it, and I believed her. What do you need to solve this case? Well, you always want a bit of luck and divine intervention, which I feel like has helped us already in this case. But yes, I mean, continued cooperation from the public, anybody who knew Dean and Tina, even before they left Florida, that could give us some perspective on their personalities and their backgrounds. And certainly if they knew them, you know, when they were in Texas, that would be even better. We would definitely love and be interested in in hearing any information if, if people had any contact with them. And then again, just continuing to follow all of these leads from the public on the religious organizations, maybe the car. And, you know, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, we are still really, really trying to find a lot of that uh, physical evidence from the crime scene. Harris County Sheriff's Office has been really looking for it and trying to unturn every box and um, every shelf to try to find Mm -hmm. that evidence. And so far, we have not found that, but I'm not giving up hope. So there again, that would be a stroke of luck for us if we could find that. I do believe it would have a wealth of information. Finding Holly some 42 years after her parents' murder closed the door on one mystery, but opened up another entirely. Who were the robed barefoot women 
who dropped off baby Holly at a church in Arizona. Were they connected to Sister Susan? What group did they belong to? The women weren't suspects, according to Mindy Monford, but finding them was the best shot at uncovering who murdered Dean and Tina Klaus and why. As I probed further into the case, my investigation led me to the group responsible for dropping off Holly. They dressed in white robes, carried olive green army blankets, smoked pot, and were strictly vegetarian. Coming up in episode seven. To outsiders, the Christ family was a strange but harmless group. Insiders, however, tell a different story. We were taught how to think, how to speak, how to dress, eat, sleep. Most of the sisters have stories where people tried to rape them. Begging for food or digging for food through dumpsters. I remember being hungry quite often. When you have a group working toward their mission, children just get in the way. That's next on What About Holly? The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to What About Holly ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.